some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, it's another week where crime stories are in the headlines, including some pretty ghastly ones. Dan Reed from Greater Greater Washington is here. He's going to join us to talk about why this is happening, what it means for how the city operates. Plus, the Reeves Center at 14th and U Street is getting a facelift. We've got some thoughts about the plans that have been introduced. And Dan wants to talk about DC sports culture, which is one of my favorite subjects and I think says a lot about the heart of our city. Today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. So a very unusual thing for geezers like me who read the print edition of the Washington Post. Yesterday, a local story was the lead, and it was a local crime story, and it was a very sad local crime story. It involved the shooting at the Potomac Avenue metro station. A metro employee was shot and killed trying to stop the gunman. That's still the kind of thing that is shocking enough that it merits a front-page story. But it is a story that's sort of in line with a number of things that have been in headlines recently. There's been a lot of stories about crime where the victims are bystanders. You know, there was a shooting in Adams Morgan where people hang out for nightlife. There was a shooting after school at Coolidge High School of a safe passage worker. And there was, it's a little bit different, but there was this, a lot of news this week about this shooting of 13-year-old Karan Blake. His alleged killer has been arrested. It's a 13-year-old kid a man who had a gun permit believed that he and some friends were trying to break into cars in the middle of the night. He ran out, shouted. There was words exchanged. There's pretty ghastly video where the victim is saying, you know, I'm a kid. I'm only 12 years old. And he gets shot. That's different in that this is maybe not just a bystander, but it is a case of alleged vigilantism, which is a thing that people do when we are in a sort of very worried about crime and violence and safety mode. It's not to excuse it, but it is just a thing that that tends to happen in frightened environments, which I think is something that is happening in Washington. And you can sort of see the culture and mood of the place changing in real time, right? You know, I think one of the strongest memories I have of growing up here in the 90s is feeling a little more on edge about safety when I went out, or really my parents telling me to be more careful if I was going on the metro, if I was going into DC, what have you. And in the past 20 years, one of the nice things about living here is that it has just gotten, at least the perception is that it's safer and safer, right? Things were always getting better. This was increasingly a place where you could go out at 1030 at night and walk your dog and not feel worried about it, right? And it's a little heartbreaking to see 
that mood sort of starting to ebb, right? You know, I went into work yesterday and my coworker came late and a little shaken because he was on the orange line and witnessed an attack in the train car he was in, right? And he was fine. But as soon as I heard about the shooting at Potomac Avenue, I thought, is this, was this related? It wasn't. So two even unrelated attacks happened yesterday on the same line, right? And it hit very close to home for somebody in my life. So I think one of the big sort of America-wide phenomena of the past few decades has been as crime dipped, as crime went way down. And by the way, in D.C., it remains way, 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 way lower than it was in the 80s and early 90s. As crime sort of dipped, it it kind of it took an element out of the political vibe. And there was an element that was loaded with with race, with feelings about guns, with all sorts of tendrils that divided the society. And in D.C., it had a real it had an effect on the city's relationship with Congress, which is going to be relevant again. It had an effect on the city's relationship with its suburbs. Um, it had an effect on the city's economy and nightlife and so on. And it's not to say there has been no crime in the past couple of decades. There's been plenty. But the sense that the bourgeoisie are anxious for them for their safety, you know, is kind of a familiar and unwelcome feeling. And it's one that, that the mayor brought up when she did a crime summit a few weeks ago. And she said she's worried about going back to the bad old days, even though statistically we are a long way from those bad old days. What do you think it would mean, Dan, if we're like back in a place where like voters are telling their DC council members, hey, this is my biggest concern. You got to do something about this. I think One thing we saw back in the day is that so many policy proposals that came out in D.C. and to a lesser extent in the suburbs were driven by this is a way to fix crime, right? Like in the 1990s, there was a lot of conversations about banning pit bulls in D.C. And they were the dogs were constantly being tied to this is related to a criminal element or just general disinvestment in neighborhoods, right? And it never happened. But I think you're going to see a lot more sort of grandstanding, right? Like I am proposing this solution, whether it is clearing more homelessness encampments or you know, expanding the youth curfew or what have you, as it just did in Prince George's County, with the intention of we're going to prevent crime or really we're going to try We want to make you feel safer. We want to reduce the perception of, of being unsafe. Right. And I think the sense of Washington is, hey, this is a safe city. Which, again, for a child, for both of us, children of the 80s and 90s, it is a safe city by comparison, hugely. Think of all of the development that goes on, all the banks that finance the development. You know, are people going to get nervous about if they're thinking, boy, like a bunch of headlines about crime and no one might rent these apartments or, or frequent these stores? It becomes like a vicious cycle, right? You know, if developers fear that people aren't going to rent apartments, they aren't going to propose projects and banks are likely to not fund those projects, maybe if they feel like not as much stuff is happening. And you might start to see a reduction in investment in the city. And then, you know, I think one of the trends that I've had like a hard time trying to like convey is that I think a lot of my younger friends who at a certain age would just leave the city, you know, to places that felt safer for raising kids or what have you uh, are staying, right? And maybe this could restart that movement again, right? And for I think neighborhoods in the city that are sort of perceived now as like where you go to raise a child, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Petworth, for example, where a lot of my family was growing up. This, I think, directly impacts places like that because so much of their reputation and desirability is predicated on this is a safe place to raise a family.
The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Speaking of big investments and places that has places whose reputations have changed. Another big thing in the news this week, the Reeves Center, which is the corner of 14th and U. There's this big, brutalist, to my mind, hideously ugly city office building. I don't know if you have different thoughts about the architectural beauty of it. Eh. All right. <laughs> That's a, right, from Dan, that is a rave review. Um, but the, so the Reeves Center, as people know, it was built in the 80s at the center of the intersection that had been a kind of epicenter of black Washington and that had been really burned very badly in the disturbances in 1968. And this was sort of the city's, Mayor Barry's way of saying, hey, we're going to bring this area back. And it came back so well that that building wound up becoming, instead of the symbol of progress, the laggard against progress. It was in the neighborhood of, of sort of bustling street life and commercial activity that city office building was a sort of a, a dead zone at night. There was nothing going on there. It does feel a little bit scary compared to other blocks walking down it just because there's not very many other passersby hanging around. So the plan had been to make big changes there. And they rolled out some of these changes this week about there's going to be a Dave Chappelle comedy club, a Songbird cafe, a hotel, apartments. You are by training an urban planner. Give me your Dan Reed review. Sure. So picking up off of crime, right? The Reeve Center in the 80s was very emblematic of the approach to design at that time, right? Like it was meant to be the sort of fortress to make people feel safe in a part of the city that had largely been you know, decimated by the riots, right? It's set back really far from the street. It has lots of big blank walls. Like the idea is that you sort of get sucked in to do whatever business you have, right? And you're protected. And the proposals for replacing it reflect, I think, the perception people have had in the past few years. They're big, they're bright, they're open, there's lots of glass. They sort of invite you in instead of walling off the surrounding world. There's retail on the bottom floor. It is, I think, really indicative of how we perceive the city and as a safe and inviting place in the past few years. I think what the different designs all have in common is they have a mix of different uses, like housing, a hotel, like you said, music venue, off retail. I think also reflecting that like lots of different activities happen on 14th and U, but also it'll make the space active at different times of the day and different times of the week. Because one thing that U Street is not is a place where a lot of people work. And I say to someone who used to work in an office on U Street, and as a result, during the day, there isn't a lot of foot traffic for like lunch restaurants and stuff. And one of the things is that's going to change. I mean, this development 
also includes what would be the headquarters of the NAACP. Right. And that will put a lot of, well, assuming people come back to the office, right? <laughs> put a lot of foot right. traffic on U Street during the day. Right. So people got to go out, get dry cleaning done, get lunch, buy a birthday present for their kid, et cetera. And then that is good for pumping some different kinds of business into 14th and U. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the other sort of factor that we mentioned is it's a neighborhood that's also been an epicenter of gentrification. It's gone from being the sort of anchor of what they called Black Broadway to being a neighborhood where you see a lot of young white folks with disposable income spending said disposable income. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is for people who are longtime residents of the area, there's a feeling of like, wow, it's, I don't quite feel at home the way I once did. And this project tries to balance that a little bit, I think. Yeah. Back a few years ago, the city created this plan called the Duke Plan, which was intended to sort of cement U Street's role as Black Broadway by intentionally bringing back venues geared towards music and arts, but also towards the Black community. And these proposals really reflect that. Introducing like Black restaurant tours, Dave Chappelle's comedy club in one of the proposals, which he I think is similar to one he's trying to build in his current hometown in Ohio. Attentions for like affordable housing to ensure that people who may have been priced out of that area have the chance to come back and not just rent, but like own homes. It is very intentional about like not just having random retail and shops that could very much look like the wharf or the yards or what have you, but actually stuff that reflects the history and culture of that place. So wait, what are we supposed to think about a Dave Chappelle Comedy Center now? Uh, <laughs> That's Dan uh, Reed. That's high praise. We, some of us have complicated feelings about Dave Chappelle. I guess I'm happy he is investing in his hometown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it got me thinking about what are some other DC luminaries I'd want to open venues there. Who would you like to see? You know, I, I feel like there's not enough, there's not enough like physical representation of like current like DC, like culture and hip hop in the city. I want like Odyssey to have a venue on U Street. He lives in Brooklyn now, I think, but like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> so is this like the tax on any like DC kid who does good? They got to come back and invest, open a venue? That's right. <laughs> but, but I mean, here's the thing that like as a, a, you know, a person who used to spend a lot of time looking at DC music in clubs, when you are talking about something that's like a the center of a glittering and incredibly big budget new development, it is very hard to have that place be the sort of venue that a nobody could make their name at, uh, whether that nobody uh, is a hip hop artist or a punk band or a comedian or whatever. Um, in these schemes to redevelop neighborhoods, is there a place for the little weird, scarcely making a profit kind of venue? One of the reasons why DC has as much rich you know, music culture as it has is because in the 70s and 80s and 90s, much of the city was so disinvested that it was there was lots of cheap space that you could use, right? And that space is increasingly harder to find. A lot of it is in the suburbs, and you are seeing some really cool things happening in the suburbs, you know, right now because of it. But if the city, if DC wants to continue to be a place for that kind of culture production, as I call it, it has to be really intentional about making space for it. And you go back and forth about how and who decides what gets to have a space there, but the intention has to be there because, you know, some kid who wants to open a venue off a of U Street the way that maybe Seth Hurwitz wanted to or did 30 years ago just isn't going to happen now without some help. All right. Speaking of culture in D.C., um, 
Dan, you have made a provocative point, and I want to talk about it. Dan, my friends, wants us to be more like Philadelphia. And I used to live in Philadelphia, and I love Philadelphia. But I think a number of people might be put off by that by that desire. Can you unpack it a little bit? Yes. I also lived in Philadelphia. And <laughs> if there's one thing Philly knows how to do, it is to have large and public celebrations in anticipation of the Eagles winning the playoffs and this being guaranteed for the Super Bowl. The city greased the telephone poles on South Broad Street, which, if you don't know, was like the biggest major street in Center City. Because they knew people were going to come down there to celebrate and, as they were wont to do, climb telephone poles. So they wanted to prevent that. And so what got right, me they, they announced this, we're going to grease the poles. And instead of being a disincentive, people took it as a challenge. That's right. They were very scrappy people, Philadelphians. <laughs> so it got me thinking, where if we were to have some big public celebration, where would we grease the telephone poles? And are we a grease the telephone poles kind of city? So... Again, I'm going to date myself, but uh, I'm old enough to remember when we had a decent football team. And in the 80s, like if you look at you know the celebrations after they won the Super Bowl, it was in Georgetown. Like this, there was all the sports bars were there, which is like I don't think true anymore. <sighs> but people would pour out into the streets, and there's these you can look them up. There's pictures of the entirety of M Street clogged with humanity. They are not, I don't believe, climbing light poles, but they're doing other stuff that suggests a raucous uh, enthusiasm for the team. Perhaps not at a Philadelphian level, but imagine this, a great football team here. Are you saying that you think nowadays people wouldn't go out and uh, and celebrate together? I just don't know where it would happen. I think that was the first thought I had. Like, I guess maybe 7th Street in Chinatown. That's like a big, busy place where lots of people know, but the football stadium is not there. I cannot picture people, you know, running out to Landover to celebrate the commanders winning anything. And I especially can't <laughs> imagine them going to Ashburn if they decide to move the team out there. Right. I think after the Caps won, there was there was a lot of people out by the venue. And I think it had been it, it was an, if I recall correctly, it was an away game, but it was being broadcast on the big screen on the side of the hockey stadium. So there was like some degree of humanity out there. But it is true. I don't get the sense that even if some of the greatest possible thing happened, there's that there would be that kind of collective enthusiasm in a physical space. It may also be because it's a transient city. And unlike the 80s, it's really easy to maintain rooting for whatever the team and wherever you're from. And so people, uh, there isn't the shared enthusiasm that there once was. That is true. In fact, I did and continue to root for the Eagles. I Impulse bought a Carson Wentz Eagles jersey last night <laughs> in anticipation of the Super Bowl. Aware that's, that a, that's a, a very problematic DC guy kind of shirt to buy. So it goes. I look forward <laughs> to to getting heckled on the street. But we are are we Which even street? A, on our streets or theirs? exactly? You know, Philadelphia <laughs> is a you will get heckled on the street city. I don't really anticipate that here. I guess. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say you were to organize a sports celebration. Where would you want it to be? I think, I guess, 7th Street, maybe U Street. Like, that is a place where people go celebrate already. Maybe that's the uh, today's equivalent of Georgetown. Wait, are those plans for the Reeve Center that you reviewed? Do they have a space for raucous athletic celebrations? They could be. there. I did not see any telephone poles in the renderings, but it's not too late to add some. I mean, in D.C., they would probably put up, like, safety nets and, like, kind of a climbing rope sort of situation, and people would treat it as a fitness activity. That's right. I mean, these Hill staffers, you know, we have to make sure that this is easier for them. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for being here and gabbing with me. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for having me. Here's a reminder. Next week is our DC Love Kit week. It's the week 
before the week of Valentine's Day. And we are going to have five episodes that deal not just with love, but with loneliness, but with love gone wrong, but with dating fails and all kinds of other magic, both on the pod and in our newsletter, Hey DC. You can subscribe to both at dc.citycast.fm. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.